Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them himself in Psalm 7. The title for our study today is called Serving Through Opposition. So you're going to want to pay attention to this if you're trying to serve the Lord. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things that I do as a ministry, please hit the like button, the share button, and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. I know it sounds silly, but it really helps make sure that this teaching can be more easily found for the folks who need it. The more action and activity that social media sees, the more likely it is to recommend it to other people. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord, reaching more ears on his behalf. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 7, the Bible says, A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is any iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. <laughs> and there you have it. All right. So we got a long one here that we're going to break up into three different episodes. So for this one, we're going to deal with verses one through five. So check it out. As you can see here from the testimony of David, doing the work of the Lord is hard. The Bible teaches that serving the Lord rightly requires a miracle from God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If not for the Spirit of God provoking us and then equipping us, our service to the Lord would ultimately be corrupt and then unpleasing to Him. If not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit to fill us for this service. If not for the gracious planning and purposes of the Father, especially as we see in Scripture, we wouldn't have had Jesus' sacrifice. 
Things get even more complicated when we face opposition from other people. Not only does our own flesh try to foil God's desires for us to use as instruments of righteousness, but sometimes there's people around us that try to discourage our godly service also, or sometimes worse. The Bible is filled with the testimonies of men and women that tried to do God's will by faith, but they ran into some crazy opposition. Thankfully, the Bible also provides these testimonies, like we see here in Psalm 7, to encourage us today when we inevitably run into similar circumstances. The testimony of Psalm 7 shows that King David dealt with this sort of opposition. David wasn't a perfect man by any stretch, but he was a great man of faith. He is described in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. The Bible refers to David as a great example because of the faith that he had in the character of God and the eternal nature of God's purposes and promises. David had a unique, very unique, and special relationship with God, having received tremendous revelations from God, especially as we see in Scripture, and of course, the covenants that God made with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But David also lived a life of great struggle. He struggled with his own sinful issues, as we see in Psalm 6, and you see in other portions of Scripture, but was often persecuted by other people too, for reasons that didn't always make sense, especially to David as he was going through the struggle. David wanted to live a peaceful life, serving God and God's purposes, but David often had to deal with people who wanted to destroy the work and purposes that God wanted to do in David's life by ultimately destroying David himself. And Psalm 7 documents one of those instances. Now, the subscript of Psalm 7, which is the piece that you get before you get to verse 1, is especially important in this particular psalm because it helps us identify not only the context, but also the temperament of David's cries to God in his time of need. First, the psalm is called a shimineth, which is a type of song. Even though the contents of Psalm 7 reflect David's cries to God, it's important to note that David didn't cry out to God without hope. He sang to God even in his time of trouble. Now, this sort of song isn't a song of rejoicing in the traditional sense, especially like we see in the last couple of Psalms of the Bible, but it isn't a lamentation either. David isn't getting all emo on us here. This shows that while David was in great need from God, he wasn't discouraged in his time of need to the point of like depression. His need was legit, but it didn't cause him to be depressed or anxious to the point of unfaithfulness. David wasn't defeated by his enemies that tried to destroy him. So David didn't approach God with a sense of hopelessness, but instead trusted in the integrity of God as well as his own integrity to cry out to God with hope and anticipation so that he actually sang this psalm to his Savior and Deliverer in spite of the trouble that he was in. Secondly, the subscript identifies the root of David's issues at this time. It says that he was being pursued by a man named Cush from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically identify this man and who he is. Since he is identified from the tribe of Benjamin, a lot of Bible commentators and scholars have tried to link him to Saul, since Saul was also from the tribe of Benjamin. And if you don't know, Saul is the king that came before King David, and they weren't really good friends at all times. Remember that Saul was not only the first king of Israel, but wasn't the greatest of kings. He was an evil man. 
He was not a fan of David's. He was the one who ruled over Israel when Goliath was taunting the children of Israel. But when Saul was only able to stand at a distance in fear, it was David that went up to Goliath and killed that giant. And David was the one who received the praises of the people for him being a hero and the work that God did through him to work that miracle. David was quickly promoted as one of the chief musicians in the house of Saul and also made a leader of Israel's armies as a result of the victory that God gave to David over Goliath. God equipped David to do some crazy good things at that time, and he had a lot of awesome victories to show for at that time. But over time, the people rejoiced greatly even more so over David, and Saul got jealous. A lot of Saul's kingship was spent chasing David down, trying to kill him. David was forced to live in the wilderness and in caves for a lot of the younger part of his life. He learned to trust in the Lord in unique ways during that time, but Saul's pursuit was pretty relentless, and he used all of the resources of Israel to do that, all because he was jealous. The testimony of 2 Samuel shows that Saul's jealousy was passed on to other family members also. After Saul died, another relative named Shimi harassed David also. I mean, he was speaking curses at him and actually throwing rocks at David while David was fleeing from the rebellion of his own son that was being led in Israel at that time. So for this reason, a lot of people believe that Saul kind of sparked this family-wide hatred for David among the people in the tribe of Benjamin, and Cush was likely one of those who despised David because of the relationship that Saul had with David previously. So we can't say for sure, but it does make some sense. In Psalm chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, the Bible shows that David was confident in the Lord regardless of this unprovoked issue and the cause of it. Again, we don't know really who Cush was and what caused him to be all bitter, but we do know that David was confident in the Lord either way. David called out to God, and he did so in the form of this song. And when he called out to God, he referred to the Lord as my God. Again, verses 1 and 2 say, O Lord, my God. In you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. So this shows that David considered the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be his own God also. David had a personal relationship with the creator of all things that originally cried out to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the covenant he made with them. The relationship was obvious, and it was evident by the revelation that David had received that we see in Scripture, and by the fruit that God produced in David's life, also documented in Scripture. David surrendered his life to God and his eternal purposes, and as a result, was able to know certain things about God, and that knowledge drew him even closer to God. That was the relationship. David was confident to refer to God as his own personal God, because of the quality of relationship that they had made evident by the intimate things that God revealed to David about his plans, purposes, and promises, and the faith that David had in those revelations that God gave. God was heavily involved in David's life as David's provider and protector from a young age, and David recognized God as the cause of all the things that were going on in his life, whether he thought they were good or bad at any given time. The relationship that David had with God was founded on the revelation that God provided of himself, his purposes and promises, and David's faith in that revelation. That's how any true relationship with God is forged. So it was for this reason that it was a natural thing for David to put his trust in God. He had been doing it for a long time already. The supernatural revelations of God sparked good natural habits for David. 
In Psalm 7, verses 1 through 5, David doesn't say that he will trust the Lord. The psalm shows that David was already trusting the Lord, even before his hardships had fully begun and got underway. Before Cush was oppressing and threatening David, he was trusting God, and the scriptures back that up. David made it a habit to put his trust in God at all times, personally, concerning all things. And why wouldn't he? If the one true living God who created the heavens and the earth makes himself freely available to provide mercy and grace in our time of need, the Bible teaches that only a fool would reject such an opportunity and a privilege. David was not a fool. In fact, in Psalm 14, verse 1, a psalm that David wrote, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart, no, God. David, on the other hand, made it a habit of life, whether times were good or bad, to trust in the Lord, seeking his will, his purposes, and his promises. Basically, whatever God threw his way, David was like, yes, God, but also trusted in God to get him through those things if they were difficult. So it wasn't like David had to go some great distance or perform unfamiliar religious practices, you know, to seek after God in his time of need. David was simply doing the things that he was accustomed to doing all along, which is likely why he was provoked to sing to God even in a time of distress. Think about that. David went after the Lord's help through song and identified God in two important ways in the process. He asked the Lord to save him from persecution, thereby referring to God as Savior. He asked the Lord to deliver him from his troubles caused by others, so he referred to God as Deliverer. Oftentimes, when we're provoked by other people, we can be tempted to seek help from other people or try to handle the situation on our own by whatever natural habits come to mind. In doing these types of things, it gets real easy to grow real bitter, spread gossips, you know, dissensions, backbiting, and a lot of other harmful things provoked by a bad attitude that tend to make things much worse. Rather than improving the situation, our own wisdom tends to make things worse, adding more drama. David didn't try to manage the situation on his own here. Instead, he remembered that the Lord God is the Savior. He's the one that rescues from issues that threaten the integrity of his purposes for our lives. God is the deliverer. He's the one that paves the way of escape from circumstances that compromise our connection to God and the work that he sets before us for his glory. If we seek another source of help, then we ultimately forfeit the opportunity to receive God's salvation and deliverance, oftentimes squandering the wisdom and power of God that he provides to remove the circumstances that hinder his purpose for our life. Now, we won't lose our salvation in those instances, but we certainly don't get to walk in the joy that God intends to give us in salvation while we're trying to fix issues on our own. David put the situation in the hands of the Lord because he recognized that the threats were real. He mentioned that his enemies were seeking to tear him to pieces like a lion towards its prey. So this could refer to physical harm or defamation of his integrity and reputation. It could be either one. Either way, the circumstances were hurtful to the things that God wanted to do in David's life. David was called to be the king of Israel, to be the seed of the coming Messiah of Israel, to establish that throne. David was called to lead the people of God in righteousness, to protect the integrity of the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether Cush only threatened David's integrity and reputation or actually threatened his life, it really makes no difference. Either one was problematic to the things God was seeking to do in David's life. David realized how much was at stake because his relationship with God 
provided clear understanding of God's purposes for his life. If not for the relationship that he had with God, he wouldn't know God or his purposes and promises. If David didn't understand those things, he might have just seen the threats from Cush as issues that frustrated his personal comforts and goals for his life. David wouldn't have been able to see the bigger picture, which would have hindered his trust in the Lord. Since David knew God, he did know God's purposes and promises. He did know God's purpose for his life. He knew that the threats against his life were threats against God's plans for his life. So, David could approach God with confidence and assurance that God would deal with it because it was ultimately God's problem. David was merely a servant of the Lord, and David trusted in the faithfulness of his master to uphold, enable, and equip his servants unto the completion of whatever purposes the master gives. So David sang his prayer to God instead of complaining about discomforts from opposing influences. Now, one of the keys to David's confidence is that he knew he was blameless, and this is really important. David plainly wrote in verses 3 through 5, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is any iniquity in my hand, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without a cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust, Selah. The testimony of David in the Bible shows that David really never provoked conflict outside of Goliath, but Goliath was talking trash about God and Israel, and so he kind of had it coming, right? <laughs> so David was frequently involved in conflict, but not by his own evil objectives. Evil just kind of always seemed to find David. And this was especially true in how David dealt with King Saul, for example. Even though Saul tried to take David's life, David didn't try to return Saul's evil with his own evil. David didn't try to get back at Saul, you know, to try and give Saul what David felt he deserved or seek revenge in any sort of way. In fact, David had two opportunities documented in Scripture to kill Saul and forfeited both of those opportunities. David's men were even confused as to why David continually responded with mercy towards Saul. Even when Shimei was harassing David, the Bible shows that David permitted it, assuming that it was God's will to use Shimei to you know, refine his own character. Pretty crazy. When David prayed to God in Psalm 7, verses 1-5, through 5, he confidently proclaimed his blamelessness. David was so confident that he actually asked God to punish him and trample his life into dust if he was guilty of provoking evil from Cush. David's invitation to God's judgment shows that David's plea to God was not for the sake of seeking personal revenge. David was seeking justice, and there is a big difference between the two. David's heart was not filled with malice anger, or bitterness because others were making his life hard or inconvenient. And oftentimes, that's how we're provoked. That's not what's happening here. David didn't consider himself better than Cush or even entitled to certain quality of life, justifying his position against Cush. David sought the Lord and his righteousness to do what was right and fair according to God's purposes and promises. David wanted judgment only because his enemies were threatening the integrity of God's purposes by threatening David himself, who was an heir of God's covenant that God made himself. It's one thing to pray to God to judge someone in bitterness and hate. It's a whole other thing to humbly seek God's righteousness and justice. 
And I'm here to tell you that the Bible teaches only the Holy Spirit can motivate the right direction of our motives like this. David didn't want God to hurt people just because he was personally hurt, and that is a huge point to consider. David wanted God to do what was right according to God's perfect righteousness, as evidenced by David's willingness to be judged himself if he was found to be wrong in any way in this particular matter. We need to try and be blameless in the sight of the Lord ourselves, seeking the fulfillment of God's righteous judgments with the same sort of humility with pure motives, which means what? We can't be looking out for our own interests, but God's interests above our own. We can't be seeking personal gratification to our flesh, but instead the righteous standards of God fulfilled as we see them in Scripture. It's a big difference between those two things, and only the Holy Spirit can give us the right interpretation of what motives we're operating by, right? Only the Holy Spirit can cause our hearts to pray the way we see here in Psalm 7. In order to pray, and even as David did, sing this way to God, we need to know who God is. We need to have an intimate connection that grows and matures according to the revelation of his righteousness that he provides and that the Holy Spirit nourishes. And this happens in the Word. We need to know God's character and nature as Savior and Deliverer, like David did. We need to know why God is trustworthy at all times, good times and bad times. We need to know the grace and mercy of God. We need to know the plans and purposes of God. We need to know where we fit in those works that God desires to do and what they ultimately lead to. How can we pray for the justice and righteousness of God if we don't know the standards of his righteousness according to his character based on his eternal and spiritual purposes. All that stuff is documented in the Bible from cover to cover, and it's all focused on the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God and Messiah. When we seek God and his righteousness, he promises, according to his own faithfulness, to provide answers and clarity. It's at that point they were able to face opposition of various kinds and persevere with hope and confidence that he who started a good work in us will continue until that work is done, at which time we can expect to hear, like David, well done, good and faithful servant. But we need to know the plans and purposes that God has for his servants as he's declared in the word, and we need to understand the patterns of his work that he operates by to know when we are in his will and when we are out. If we expect God to help us finish the work that he appointed, it would be helpful to know what God is doing and how he deploys his servants in that work, right? When we humbly seek the Lord like David did, we can be filled with the spirit that he had to commune with God the way that David did, no matter how hard things might be for us in the moment. All of this work gets done as we seek the Lord and his righteousness to know him and his purposes through the word, by faith, leveraging his spirit for understanding as it all points to the work he does as Jesus. That's what David did, and that's what we should do. And that's the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. If we want to know the one true living God as our deliverer and savior, this is the approach his instruction commands us to take. And it's his way or the wrong way. And that's that. But before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second, make sure you're subscribed, Make sure you share the link to this podcast on your social media and make sure you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the people we can 
to know the truth about God and how to connect with him and the hope that he wants to give to each and every one of us. Don't keep the people you know and love from hearing the truth and hope that they may need, maybe even right now. And also, keep in mind that all the Bible teaching we do here is 100% listener-supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the Word and prepare to this degree. And you don't see a lot of this going on these days. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching and dig on the beats and everything else we do, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. That's how the body of Christ thrives and grows. We're a legit nonprofit. We have a 501c3 registered with the government operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. So check us out if you want to. And if you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing, you can visit www.pastorbside, like the flip side of a record, .com. Hit the support tab when you get there and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. Every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering monthly with us, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, and that's exactly what you hear us doing here. Ministries like this need support just like any other, whether we got building, pew, pulpit, or not, the work is the same. For all the false teaching that's being shared out there these days, let's partner together and make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there. So thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. And until next time, peace out.